Friday. Gee, I'm still just thinking of that worship. What wonderful worship. So I'm going to move quick. Can I move quick? You guys good? Firstly, Happy New Year. I realize we, uh, we haven't seen you guys. You know, we feel like we never go away or went away, but we were. So Happy New Year to all of those of you who we won't see. But firstly, 2023. And as we look at 2023, um, I get a one-off Sunday, which is today, to do something, and then we'll do the 20th anniversary next week. So I just wanted to just talk about Jesus. Please come in. Come into many things which we'll speak about in a moment. But it's a little crazy right now out in the world, and there's a lot going on. There's so much going on, you can't even keep track with it. I don't know if it's just you. I don't even try keep track with it because I don't care a lot of the time. But, uh, but there's so much going on that, you know, every week it's like something new, some new thing that we didn't even know were things is happening somewhere in the world, somewhere around us, somewhere in the county. And so with all that's going on, with all that stirring, whether it be political, whether it be financial, whether it be inflation, whether it be the marketplace, it doesn't, in the family, in the home, the children, in the school, everything is, with all of that going on, that means that there's a lot going on in our hearts. It just does. You can't just stick your head in the sand. So it does mean there's a lot going on in the heart. And I have found that when I'm walking with the Lord, obviously we're, we're Christian and saved, but when I'm walking with the Lord in a way that I don't even like to say in the way that I should, because that gets legalistic very quickly. When I'm just walking with the Lord and there's a, there's a constant fellowship, it doesn't have to be a legalistic thing, but constant, ongoing, maybe daily, every second day, there's just, there's fellowship with the Lord. I have found that me personally, and I know many of you know this to be true, that everything that's going on out there doesn't, doesn't have the same effect on me. That stuff doesn't change, but it doesn't affect me the same way. And years ago, I forget who it was, a speaker, uh, a speaker brought this um, to, to, I can't remember, it was some convention, how he was struck how icebergs, he saw icebergs, I'm going to show you a picture in a moment, how icebergs can head steadily into, into wind, that is hurricane force, hurricane level wind, and it cuts directly into this wind, and they, like, how is that possible? Even in storms where ships, entire ships were being flipped upside down, the waves bigger than this room, you know, you've all seen those type of movies, an iceberg is, it's unaffected. And, you know, if you've ever seen ice in your glass, you know that a lot of it, most of it is underwater. You know, just a little piece comes out. And what they realized is that the undercurrents of the ocean, if the under, wherever the undercurrent of the ocean is going, that's where that iceberg goes. Because two-thirds of it is underwater, and it's being pushed no matter what's happening up there. Irrelevant. Irrelevant. And there are undercurrents of the kingdom that are in your spirit, that we need to grow and learn how to partner and discern with that. And the more we put this in, where it feeds our spirit man, wakes it up, makes it strong, the more we have communion and fellowship in the presence of the Lord, it's like the undercurrents of the kingdom start to take us and we are not as affected. All the stuff happens, but we can just steadily move in the direction of the kingdom. And everything is flipping and turning upside down. Who knows what I'm saying is true? It has to be real. One of the questions we ask people 
uh, when we meet them for some form of ministry, we ask people a very simple question. When did Jesus become a reality to you? Not when you said a prayer, not when you went to church. When did he become real? And it's always amazing listening to the answers. So I wonder if we can go to Psalm 16. If you could turn there, we're going to read Psalm 16. I think actually I have it here. Um, It's a Psalm of David, and it says this. Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. They drink, um, their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. It has this verse 5. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. I'll explain that in a moment. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Let me quickly say something about this. There's, uh, help me Lord, say this nicely. There are groups of people that are so, you know, faith oriented, which is a good thing. But if, if like there's a hardship or trouble in life, that, you know, we must have victory. We must overcome. Yes, I understand we should. But Jesus said it'll be hard sometimes. Jesus said you will suffer persecution. Here it's talking about we will not be moved, which means something will happen that tries to move us. And it's not always changing that. It's what we do in it. Very different. Very different. There are so many people that are made to feel bad because they, in some religious circles, because they're having a rough go of it, when Jesus actually said, yeah, that'll happen. But don't fear, I'm with you. It's just more religious pomp. It's like, you know, well, we're overcoming. Yes, we are. And yes, he's with us. But sometimes it's how we walk through it and who we walk with. Am I making sense? So he says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh will also rest in hope for you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures evermore. Now look at verse five. O Lord, you are the portion. You, you, are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. This is spoken by a king. And that word inheritance, if you grew up in that time and you were Jewish and you grew up in that understanding, when they said inheritance, they weren't always meaning what we think, what our parents give us. Their inheritance as a people was actually land, the promised land. And all the tribes and all the things, they were all divided. So David as a tribe of Judah, he had this, a certain type of land that in a sense was to him and his family. And But when he says, you are my inheritance, he's actually talking about something extremely precious that only the Levites had, which I'll, if you go to the book of Numbers, I think the scriptures will come up behind me. Um, in the book of Numbers, it's amazing what it's about. It's about numbering. The first chapter, God says, hey, Moses, number of the people. So it's numbers, right? Now you know. 
And towards the end of that chapter, he says, number of the people, and they go through all the numbers of the people and the tribes. But then he says this. He says, but do not number the Levites. Don't count them. And why? He says, because they, in verse 50, but you shall not appoint, sorry, but you shall appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony, that's the presence, the ark, and, and all that went with the tabernacle, over all its furnishings and over all things that belong to it, they shall carry the tabernacle and its furnishings. They shall attend to it. When we go forward, they'll pack it down and take it. They will set it up. If anybody else comes near to it, they'll be put to death. When they set up their camp, they must set up their camp around the tabernacle, around the presence of God. Their inheritance, they had no land. They were not given land as an inheritance. Their inheritance literally was nearness to the presence of God. They literally carried the presence of God where they went. And these were, that was the priestly, the Levites. Now it's interesting, even though Jesus was of the Lion of Judah, us in the New Testament, we are called the priesthood of all believers. And David as a king had incredible land portions of inheritance, royal holdings, more than just what his tribe was. And when he says inheritance as a Jewish people, they're thinking land and he says, Lord, you are my inheritance. He's saying, all the stuff you've blessed me with, all the rights I have as an inheritance, being as of God's son, God's child, and, you know, we're all children of God. He said, none of that is as important to me. It's easy to say this. Friends, it's so easy to say this. But he meant it. He said, it's not... It's not the land, it's not what you've blessed me with. You. The Levites get you, Lord. They get to, to actually know and experience God's presence. That is their inheritance. And David said, you are my inheritance. You are my portion. You are my cup, nothing else. And I have found when that becomes real, and it's a process, it's not, it's not like this. The Bible says the kingdom is advanced little by little, step by step. When that becomes real, actually real, all the stuff that's happening, you have to address it. You have to deal with it. Sometimes you have to live with it. I, have to, I find myself grappling in my heart with things that I didn't even know were things, with concepts and ideas that people are talking about. I, mean, I don't even know that was a thing. I don't even know people could think that way. Now I've got to deal with it and explain it to my child. It's like, you know, it's just, it's so much. But if he honestly becomes your inheritance, you will find life is different. Because peace comes to your heart. It really does. Peace comes to your heart. And that changes everything. So, in the next 10 minutes, <laughs> this is going to be interesting. I want to speak to you very quickly about Jesus, please come in. And I'll just go off the notes and just share more my heart with you. Anything you invite Jesus into, you no longer own. <laughs> I want to talk about Jesus, please come in. Firstly, my heart. And I'm not talking about repentance towards salvation. I'm not talking about being saved. 
And if you're not saved yet this morning, we would obviously love to pray with you. I'm talking about come into my heart. Soften my heart. You know, in John 4, Jesus speaking to the woman at the well, he says, but the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. You know, that is the only thing, the only thing the New Testament says that God seeks. The only thing. Everything is pursue the Lord, chase the Lord, go after him, pursue righteousness, us, us. But there's one thing the New Testament says that God seeks, just the one. True worship. Worship from the heart in spirit and in truth, meaning spirit, spirit to spirit, deep calls unto deep, in truth, it's not just words, it's not just go through emotion, go through a process, and that's why we say our heart yet free life is to build a church where people actually know the Lord, you know, by the time Jesus arrived on the earth, most of the things that he had given, even though through, that it was through the law system, most of the things he had given for fellowship or to maintain fellowship had actually become Almost the opposite. Things like prayer. Jesus said, don't stand on the street corners babbling and carrying on just so that people can see you. That's what the spiritual leaders were doing. Things like fasting. He said, don't fast on the street. And don't fast and like everyone sees you and they can see how spiritual you are. Monday, Monday and Thursdays, the Pharisees used to fast and disfigure their faces. Look how spiritual we are. That was given to, give, to get nearer to the Lord. And things like worship. In Mark chapter 7, again, speaking to the Pharisees, he said, well, let me read it to you. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'll just read a little bit. Verse 5, the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Mark 7, 5, why do your disciples not walk according to, according to the tradition of the elders? That was all the stuff they had added to the, to the law that wasn't in the scriptures. They had added it, and it was what they followed even more passionately than the law. Addendums to the word of God. Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? Jesus is a nice guy, they say. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrine. They were teaching those tradition of the elders as doctrine, as if it was God's word, and it wasn't. And it was the stuff that gave them much pomp and ceremony and circumstance. But he says, in vain you worship me. Think about that. He's saying what you call worship, he's not speaking to you, he's speaking to them. What you call worship is not worship. So therefore, I don't receive it as worship. And not only that, there will be no benefits in the overflow of worship that should come to your heart and your region. That won't happen either. It's actually a pointless. You're wasting your time. That's actually what he said. And this happens throughout church history. I spoke a little bit about this morning with Todd. This desire to never leave the central place of worship from the heart, of relationship from the heart. Church history teaches us, all of us, all of us, that we are more familiar, we will more naturally go down the path towards form and method than a living relationship. 
soon as something works, we just do that, do that, do that, do that, do it again, do it again. It works, it worked. It's a relationship. And it's different for every person. Yes, there are principles, but it's a living relationship. God is a God of your heart. He's always been a God of the heart. Always. It's always what he's been after, is the heart. Man-made traditions, not birthed in the heart of God, destroy fellowship. They really do. And over time, it actually teaches, we, when that happens, it's like we get trained in unbelief. We do something, but it doesn't actually work. It doesn't have any impact. But we continue to do it. We continue to go through the motions. And just like the, what's happening then, it's exactly the same today. People are actually more familiar with their church rules, their denominational rules, than what the Scripture teaches on how to worship from your spirit and how to worship from your heart. Stand like this, dress like that, do that. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do it like that. Don't do it too long. Don't. In vain they worship me. Jesus... Come into my heart. Let it be real. And it's different for every person. And so I'm saying it now for 2023. I'm asking you to ask the Lord once again, come into my heart. Yes, I'm saved, but come into my heart. Soften the places that need to be softened. Every one of us grow callous, and we're actually not aware of it. Let's get a little bit more real. What about my home? I'll be as honest and vulnerable as I can. I have not done this as well as I've wanted to. Here I'm the anointed, you know, you've, you sense the anointing of God to preach, to minister, to do what God's called you to do. But the home is different. I have not done a good job to some degree with trying to bring my children into the things of God as much as I'd want to in a way that doesn't lead to, like, vaccination. Enough of it now to make them immune to it older. I'm learning. I, I pray for them. I do. I pray a lot for them. My wife will tell you I do. But with them, you know, we're normal people. And I've seen, like, here is one thing, but we separate them. Can we talk this real? Yeah, you know, I have my church life, my home life, and my work life. God says, what do you mean? I'm in you, and you're in me. Try separate that. Like Play-Doh. <laughs> Go make them one color again. It's not going to work. So the only answer when we separate them into these neat boxes is we actually fracture our soul. And then like, why are there all these issues? And in my home, I've said to my wife, I need help. I need help. I've learned watching some of you. There are some of you here, the way you are with your kids, the way you bring the kingdom into your home. I learn. I watch. I ask for help. I do. Help me. Because we need one another. Mark chapter 2 says this. And verse 1, And again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. And I said this to the guys last night. When I first took over the church, that scripture God gave me, it went right through me when I read it. And from that day, I said, Lord, any kind of growth, any kind of 
something that the culture thinks is good or churchianity thinks is a good sign or a good church, let it be, not from advertising, marketing, systems, good speakers, none of that. It has to be because people have heard that he is in the house. It has to be like that. And that is still my desire. But what about your home? What about my home? This does not make us feel bad. Look at what happened. It says, immediately many gathered together. There was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him bringing a paralytic. was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed. Think about it. This is your home. When Jesus steps into your home, all of a sudden, it'll probably draw people that you don't want. Hello. It says, many gathered. There's no room, not even by the door. They probably messed everything up. I'm, look, this is someone's home. And we get everything ready, stressed. Someone's coming over. Clean everything. Make it. Jesus is like, oh, they have no idea. Is he in charge of your home? Because if he is, and I, I'm asking, asking you to hear this with a soft heart, because I'm standing there with you. Sometimes he allows things you wouldn't, like opening the roof. Sometimes he brings people that you wouldn't. He draws people that you don't want because it's, it's separate. We're so independent in this culture. I go to church and I see those people. Then I go to work and I see those people. And I'm generous over here with this charity and I see those people. But none of them come to my home. You know, the man shouted out in Luke 19, I will follow you anywhere, Jesus. And Jesus turned and said, Birds of there have nests and foxes have holes. But the Son of Man has nowhere to rest, he said. What is, what is he saying? He said, you'll follow me anywhere. You don't know what you're saying. Because the crowds love to go to get blessed, but no one wanted him in their home. We'll go out to Jesus to get blessed, come to church. But no one said, Jesus, come in here. Well, he steps into your home, things change. And it's not to rebuke and to expose. That's when it's real. Ask Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. Oh, boy. Everything changed. Gave away most of his wealth, repent, but he had peace. His home was at peace. And I'm learning this. I'm learning. <laughs> we need Jesus in our home. It may not make you the popular house where people gather like this. It may just change the way you are with your children. Change the way you are as a couple. Change the way you pray. Change the way you do life at home. And it's not once. It's not stand up now, everyone, okay? Jesus, come into my home. Amen. Great sermon. No, it's the next day. Jesus, teach me how... You want me to be in the home. Teach me. Step in here, Lord. 
Please come in here. Please come in here. Come in here. Come in this space. And then sometimes things will happen and we're uncomfortable. Keep, Lord, is that you? Come in this space. And we have to be humble and flexible. And let it come in this space, the space that's so separate. What about your career? Luke 5. Again, we were going to read, I was going to read you like three whole chapters of the Bible. I love reading the Bible, not just talking about it. But let's just read this quick. You guys good for this? Just a few more minutes. It says here, Luke 5, it was as the multitudes pressed about him, verse 1, to hear the word of God. Similar thing to the home. Multitudes pressed around him. That he stood by the lake of Gethsemane, or Sea of Galilee, and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's. So Simon's boat, this is his career. This is your ministry. This is your career. This is your job. This is what you do. Or your ministry. And you know what's interesting is once Jesus stepped in there, you go look. Simon gave no commands. Jesus did. There's not a single instruction that comes out of, Simon, out of Peter's mouth after Jesus steps in the boat. And asked him, Jesus asked him to put out a little from land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep. First, it's a little. He steps into the boat and he says, let's go a little from safety. Just here in the shallow, where if something goes wrong, oh, I can stand. And he says, let's actually go out there. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word. That wasn't humility, by the way. People have said, nevertheless, at your word. It, it wasn't like that. Because he was shocked when they caught the fish. There's no belief there. He was like, so, listen, Rabbi, that's great. You're a carpenter. I mean, that's awesome. I'm a fisherman. And we all do that. Lord, this is business. Like, I love you, Jesus. But business, like, I'm good. I know what I'm doing. I'm good. Until there's a crisis. Then, Jesus, help me. But step in here, Lord. It's not natural. It doesn't come natural to people to say, Lord, step into my business and reshape it. Reshape it. And he says, when the, and Simon said, Master, we have toiled all night. At your word, I will let down the net. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. That represents, we think fish, we think salvation, people getting saved. It represents money. That was his career. Verse 7, so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. When they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Jesus said, Don't be afraid, from now you'll catch men. Jesus sees two boats. What does he do? He steps in. Once he is invited into something, you no longer own it. But you become a steward. Doesn't mean you stand by. Jesus, do everything. You still have to work, but you're now a steward of what you have said belongs to you. You don't ask a king in and think you can keep owning it. He's a king. And when I say this, Jesus come in my home, my heart, my career, we're thinking like Jesus on the earth. That's what we have in our head. No. He has eyes like fire. And 
have hair like lightning. And he's clothed with the robe of light. And he has all power and all authority, all wealth, all wisdom. He's not earthly Jesus anymore. And when he steps in, friends, it sometimes flips things upside down. What's the first thing he did? He used the boat for things that a boat shouldn't be used for. He used it as a platform to speak. That's not what a boat's for. Sometimes we say, Jesus, step into my business. And you have a restaurant. You're like, you're praying. You're doing this thing. You're saying, all right, I heard that. And daily saying, Jesus, teach me, step in. And then a week later, someone comes. You know, we would really love to do a little event. Can you shut down your restaurant for one day? Obviously, that's, you can't do that all the time. But you sense God in it. And you calculate, I'm going to lose all of this. All that X amount of money that makes us struggle this. We do all the math. But you've asked him to come in. They got so ridiculously blessed. But first, they allowed the master to run the show. You think Jesus is not a better businessman than you? Business, businesswoman? You think he's not a better speaker than you? You think he's not better with finances, math, budgets? Oh, he's, he's pretty smart. He created science. So he's in math. He's really way up there. And so ask him. Not just if you own a business. At your job. Don't ask him, Jesus, step in and destroy that guy. No, no. (laughs) Ask him. Step into my heart, but come into the business. Teach me. Give me opportunity. Why? Why? Because he actually wants to bless you. But first, he wants to use it. Sometimes first, sometimes second. There's no order to this, but he will use it for his purposes. To him, it's a vehicle that the kingdom can come through. That's it. Then he'll say, yeah, sure, go fish over there. Just boom, two boats. Why? Because when he blesses you, he blesses you to be a blessing. He says, oh, I'll pour it out on you. I'll pour it out on you. You know, I'm going to honor someone now, and he won't like it, but that's okay. And I first, one of the first times I saw Don Wooden, I looked at him, and the Lord said to me in my, in my mind, I heard it in my head, he said, he has likened them to me like George Miller who said to the Lord, I will never ask for money. And he built orphanages. The stuff he did was unbelievable all through the world, but he never asked. And he started to cry. And he's done similar things. And he said, from the time I was young, I've asked, Lord, I want to be like George Miller. I will never ask. And God has blessed this man. Why? Because this man has said, it doesn't belong to me. Lord, step in. Step in. He will bless you to be a blessing. You know, even the, I love revival. We long for it. We pray for it. But do you notice that they didn't come back every night? Jesus is not the golden ticket. Go get that rabbi. He'll just tell us where to do it. They didn't come back fishing every night with Jesus. Eh, More money, more money. Sometimes God pours out. It's amazing. Signs, wonders, and miracles. We want to come back every night. It's not the golden ticket. He says, I do that, now come with me. We need to go here. We need to go there. We need to go here. I've come. I must preach to other towns also. I think we'll leave it there. 
You will do what you've always done. What you've always done. He said, cast out the net. They're doing what they've always done. Something they're familiar with. But now it has the hand of God in it. And you know what he does at the end? He says, from now on, you'll catch men. You know that Jesus, we still, in today, we speak of fishing as like when the terms of Christian, we talk about throwing out the net, casting the net, meaning ask if someone wants to get saved. We speak of fishers of men. Why? Because Jesus touched fishermen. He will use your career, your business, what God's put in your hand to teach the kingdom to you. He will actually use what you have. He said, I will teach you the kingdom and how the kingdom works through what you do. But invite him into it. Not once, not twice. <laughs> Sometimes I've felt in the past, often, I just don't love the Lord. I have. And I've said, I just don't, you know, and instead of going and trying to force myself, I ask the Lord, Lord, please draw my heart. Because no one can come unless you draw them. Draw my heart. Draw my heart. Put a love in my heart for you, God. A couple of weeks, just regularly, and all of a sudden the emotion, that everything starts to twist. It's the same thing. Lord, come into my business. Lord, step into my home. Sometimes he steps in by sending you someone who really has a gift and a skill of how to bring God into their home. I've asked many of you for help, and it's been amazing. Sometimes, stay, come up, Chris. Sometimes he sends someone to give you counsel. That's an answer. I'm guessing he has a prophetic word. Let me have a mic. <laughs> I have told him... I've told him, honestly, just so you all know, if God moves his heart, that he's welcome to come up. So I actually, when I told Clayton a couple times, I had words that tied in with his word. Um, he's like, well, you got to come up. You got to come up. And I'm like, okay, so now it's on me. So sitting in that chair to come here actually was probably one of the hardest things I had to do in a long time because I had to actually I'd take him at his word. I shared this with Josh earlier. Josh, I, I, sometimes you have revelation, but you don't have understanding, right? As Clayton started to speak, I got understanding. I had a dream uh, right as I woke up. It was really a snippet quick. I was up on stage, and the Lord spoke to me, and um, there was scripture being read, and I said, some of us here are going around the mountain over and over again, and we keep getting the same results. And then during worship, I saw a path. It's like a dusty path. You know, there's grass. It's like you keep going down the same path. That grass turned into dirt. And over time, that dirt turns into a rut. And how many know what a rut is, right? It's a grave with the ends cut out. The only person that's going to get you out of the grave is Jesus. Because he's the one that overcame the grave. So as, G as, as Clayton started talking about bringing Jesus into these places, Quickly, I understood what the dream was. There are some of us who are going around the mountain in areas of our life. And that key to getting out of that grave is asking Jesus to come in. Hebrews says that faith activates the promise. So if, if that is you, if there is an area in your life, business, home, marriage, whatever, 
Please stand up. Please stand up. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. We invite you to come. Come, Lord. Let your presence just come. Let your love and your mercy come upon us. So, Father, I just pray for these, for these folks, Lord. I just pray Jesus over them. I encourage you, if you're standing, to invite Jesus into that area. Just softly, quietly in your hearts, invite him in to that area of your life that you're going around and around on. Yes, Lord, thank you. So, Father, release your presence, release your goodness in that area. Father, I pray that no longer will that be an area of death, but, Lord, as, as, uh, as you raise people up, Lord God, just like a Lazarus, that that would area of, of our lives would rise again and be a testimony to your goodness. That which was one a place of struggle would be a testimony and a strength. So, Father, I pray and seal that now. Lord, bless you and thank you so much for your goodness. I wonder if you could take a moment. Thank you, Chris. Just love having the different gifts come. Just take a moment. Lord, come in. If it's for your heart, for your family, for your business, ask him. Ask him. Don't be ashamed. Lord, show me. Teach me. Help me with my children. Give peace. Give peace in my heart with all the stuff happening around me. Let me find the undercurrent of the kingdom in my heart, in my home. I don't know if you could just sing. Can we just sing this one song to end? Just, unfortunately, you're going to have to follow me. Lord, you are more precious than silver. And Lord, you are more costly than If we can all stand to they can. you
you, we love you, and we love each other. In Jesus' name, amen.